This morning, we're going to be studying from Ephesians 1, which is a beautiful passage of Scripture. And, and before we get into that, I want us to kind of think about the term mystery. And I, and I love mysteries. I love thriller movies. I like it when you don't know what the ending's going to be. And a lot of times in movies and in books, I always try to predict what's going to happen in the story. And what's interesting is in those mystery books, you think of great writers like Agatha Christie, or you think about TV shows like Columbo. Remember Columbo come back, hey, there's one more thing. Or you think about Matlock or Murder, She Wrote. You think about G.K. Chesterton's Father Brown or the most important detective of all time, Sherlock Holmes, who would many times, of course, say, elementary, my dear Watson, or the game is afoot, he would say. But what was nice about it is, is that you didn't know the ending until the very end, and all of this disparate information, all of these clues, all of these facts that were picked up along the mystery would all of a sudden, be, they would come together by that central fact at the very end, and all of a sudden you understood what it was all about, who the person was that was a villain, how it had happened, and so on. And the mystery, the mystery was solved. Sherlock Holmes himself said, life is infinitely stranger than anything which the mind of man could invent. The greatest mystery isn't written in a book. The greatest mystery isn't on the silver screen. No, the greatest mystery is what we're dealing with right now. Life itself, isn't it? And we ask the questions of life, the great questions of life. And how do we figure it all out? What's the answer? What is that piece of information that brings it all together to where it makes sense? C.S. Lewis talked about how Christianity had this oddity to it that makes it real. Listen to what he says. Reality, in fact, is usually something you could have never guessed. This is one of the reasons I believe Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. It has offered us the kind of universe we had already expected. I should feel that we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It's just different enough. It has that twist about it that real things have. Christianity has that different thing about it that brings us into reality. And the wonderful thing about Christianity is that it is coherent within itself. It is consistent within itself. And when you begin to compare Christianity to the alternatives, what you will find out is, is that they are inconsistent within themselves. And if something is not coherent within itself, then it's not true. We get to verse 9 of Ephesians 1 and it says this, Having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. Paul said there's this great mystery and God has revealed it to us. 
And this term mystery is different than in what we think about. Because what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 1.9 is the counsels of God, the revelation of God finally being unfolded and revealed to mankind in Jesus Christ. And it begins to make sense. Life itself begins to make sense. When we peer through the lens of Jesus, we understand what life is all about. And without Jesus, the picture of life looks much different. It says in Proverbs 25:2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the glory of kings to search it out. So today, I want you to be a king or a queen and to help search out the mysteries of God, the revealed things of God. And what's also interesting about this passage in Ephesians 1 is that you see the showcase of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a very special way in this. The first thing that I want us to think about, number one, is in verse 3, every spiritual blessing. Look at what it says in Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing is offered to you. Every spiritual blessing. The origin of that special blessing and those spiritual blessings is who? God Himself. Blessed be the God and Father. That is the source of goodness. That is the source of spiritual blessing. But he also says it's through the agency of who? It's in Christ Jesus that these spiritual blessings are made known. Every spiritual blessing is in Christ Jesus. This spiritual reality begins to take shape in Jesus, a deeper knowledge of our reality, a complete awareness of our world, an insight, and also felicity and happiness we find in Christ Jesus. Listen to the words of 1 John 5.20. Listen. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. When we look to Jesus, we find the answers to divinity. We find the answers of God, but we also find the answers of humanity. In Christ, God and humanity is reconciled and the answer is there. The mystery is revealed. Not only is the mystery of humanity revealed, but the Scriptures begin to make sense. That's why in Luke 24, He opened their minds so that they can understand the Scriptures. Why? Because Christ fulfills the Scriptures. You take Jesus out of the Old Testament, and there's no hope. Because there's none of us here in this room that can keep 613 commandments perfectly. But when you put Christ at the center of the Bible and as the answer to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and so on, you find an answer. The Scriptures are fulfilled and illuminated by the person of Jesus. So Christ 
answers the four most important questions that we have in life. Number one, origin. Isn't that an important question? Yes, because wherever you start in your idea of where you come from, if you follow the reasoning, it's going to take you somewhere. It's going to take you place. Your starting point has everything to do with everything else in your life. It says in verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good pleasure of His, work, of his earth. Where did we come from? You see, that has everything to do with what we're doing today. And the Bible says that you come from God. That God took the time to create you. Jesus said, have you not read from the beginning that He created them, male and female? That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you take away God from the origin of mankind, guess what you get? You get another question. Is mankind, is humanity, is a person inherently valuable? Because in Christianity, if you look in the Bible, well, God created man. He made man in His image. Jesus Christ died for man. There's some value there, isn't there? But if we are the product of matter, coincidence, and time, that's all you are then you're robbed of your inherent value. And when man becomes robbed of his inherent value, then guess what happens in civics? Guess what happens in religion? Guess what happens in power structures? If you're not inherently valuable, then you become an end to something else. I want to read some words to you from a bioethicist who was named one of the most influential thinkers of the 20th century by the name of Peter Singer at Princeton. Now this is... He doesn't believe that God created you. Now he believes that man and humanity and this world that we live in is all just one big accident. And it's taken shape in what he says. Listen to this. This is just... One of many. The notion that human life is sacred just because it's human is medieval. If you believe that human life is inherently valuable, guess what? You've got a medieval thought. Or listen to this. Newborn human babies have no sense of their own existence over time, so killing a newborn baby isn't, is never equivalent to killing a person. That is a being who wants to go on living. That doesn't mean that it's not almost always a terrible thing to do it. It is, but that it's because most infants are loved and cherished by their parents. And to kill an infant is usually to do a great wrong to its parents. Now, he's what you call a utilitarian. So it's the consequences of what he believes. There's no inherent value in humanity unless there's some utility behind it, unless there's a purpose that I can see in it. Do you see the danger of that thought? 
listen to this, killing a defective infant is not morally equivalent to killing a person. Sometimes it's not wrong at all. He went on to say many other things about people who were disabled that it might be a good idea to kill them as children, as infants. And he was met at his Princeton office with people in wheelchairs and canes that didn't really like the idea. And they said, you know what this is? This is bigotry. And we don't care what degree you have hanging behind your name or what school you teach at or what famous book you wrote. Looking at people like that is wrong. But do you see how origin, where you come from and who created you has everything to do with whether you're inherently valuable? What did Jesus say? Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Or Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You see, the reason why people begin to not like thinking about we come from God is because, look at verse 4, it says, Be holy and without blame before Him. You see, a lot of times people don't want to be before Him because that means there is moral accountability to someone who is greater than myself. And all of a sudden, I'm not making all the rules. Hebrews says it like this, all things are open and naked to the eyes of Him whom we must give account. I can dress up on Sunday morning, but God knows our hearts, doesn't He? The question of origin is answered in Christ. The second question that comes before us, number two, that's so important, that's answered in Jesus Christ is what we're getting at here is morality. What is good and evil? And because of the intrinsic worth based in God, not based in what you can do for somebody, not based on what you are to the government, not based on anything else, but what you are worth to God, that intrinsic worth, that's where morality comes from. Someone greater than ourselves. That's why Paul says here, listen, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of what? Sins. You see, there is a moral dimension to our lives. And we all know it. And no matter where you believe you came from, you're trying to live according to it, whether you believe you came from God or not. People try to live moral lives. Where does it come from? You see, within Christianity, it makes sense. But when you take God out of the picture, there is no morality. There's no difference between you and an animal in the field. But that doesn't live well, does it? That doesn't really make sense. It's untenable. It's unlivable. But within Christianity, it makes sense where morality comes from. And Jesus says it has everything to do with the heart of man. 
He said in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Where does sin come from? It comes from our hearts, from our rebellion. Malcolm Muggeridge, the great English writer, says the depravity of man is once the most empirically verifiable fact and at the same time it's the most intellectually resisted. How do I know man is evil? Well, I'm a man. How do I know that you struggle with sin? Because I'm just like you. But yet we intellectually try to resist it and call it something else, don't we? We dress it up in vocabulary and we use our words to conceal the actual truth that there is a wrong and a right. And the answer to morality is God and Jesus Christ His Son. And Christ is the answer to this moral indifference that we find in the world. In Him we find redemption. And not only do we find forgiveness of sins, but we find God making it right within Himself. Because justice isn't left behind. No, God takes justice upon Himself in Jesus Christ. You see, when you're forgiven of your sins, it's not because God just does a magic trick and vanishes it away. No, the reason why you can be forgiven by your sins is because Jesus died on a cross for you. There's no magic there. He took the penalty of our sins upon Himself. Things beginning to make sense. We also have the answer to meaning and purpose in Jesus. Look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him we find that the greatest meaning and purpose in life is not within ourselves. It's somewhere else. And when you ask Jesus, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, what you find is the greatest meaning and purpose is in worship to God and in service to others. But the world gives you a radically different picture, doesn't it? Oh, it's in money. Or it's in pleasure. But Paul says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. And then the last question that just comes right together in the person of Jesus Christ is one that we all wonder about. And that's the question of your destiny. What is your future? Because if you go back and there is no God and there is no morality and there is no purpose or meaning to life, you think that ends well? But with Christ, you have a different picture, don't you? And this is where we get into the Holy Spirit here. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained, 
obtained an inheritance. You know, that's why my job is the best job in town today because I get to tell you, you have an inheritance. An inheritance that Peter says, listen to his words in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's a future, isn't it? That's a future that looks a lot different than just a graveyard or an urn in someone's shelf. An inheritance that does not fade, perish, or spoil. And what Paul says here is that not only are you given this inheritance, but God gives you the Holy Spirit to help you make it there. Verses 13 and 14, In Him you have also trusted after you've heard what? The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Listen to the words. You have the Father who created you. You had the Son who redeemed you. And now you have the Holy Spirit to sustain you. All of those answers come right together, coherent, consistent within itself. You ask someone that doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in Jesus, where are you going when you die? And you're going to have a lot of question marks. But we as Christians have an answer in the life of Jesus Christ. So today, in conclusion... The words of C.S. Lewis, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. In Christ, these answers make sense. That number one, you are a child of God. You are. You are a child of God, and because you are a child of God, that means you are important. That means you have inherent worth. It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what I say. You are a child of God. And no one can take that away from you. It is irrevocable. Number two, the person sitting by you is a child of God. And that means you need to treat them like they're a child of God. Because of God, we find the greatest purpose and meaning in life by serving our fellow brothers and sisters who are all struggling in this life just like we are. Great Albert Schweitzer said this, One thing I know, the only ones among you who will really be happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. Why? Because... It's a part of the answer to that mystery that we find in Christ. And ultimately, you have a destiny, you have an inheritance in Christ Jesus 
a home that He has made for you to look forward to. And the reason why I know that is because God has always delivered on His Word. And if He's delivered on His Word every time, then He's going to deliver on His Word for you. Those four questions of origin, of morality, of meaning and purpose and destiny come to full focus in the person of Jesus Christ. You take Christ out of your life, all of those questions blur and end up in a big question mark, in a big hopelessness. So today I encourage you to continue to seek Christ, to put Him first in your life, to do as He says, because He will deliver on what He says. The Bible says to begin that we believe in Him. We believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We repent of those sins that we see that hurt us, it hurts our family, it hurts our community. We confess Him to be the Son of the living God. We're baptized, immersed into Christ. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, in Christ we find every spiritual blessing. Or this morning, if, you're not, if you are a Christian and you need prayers of encouragement or healing, we want you to have that opportunity this morning. So if you have any need, we want to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.